Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. What's up, guys? Kenny Florian. Oh my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Yes, we are live. You think our buddy Bruce Buffer will sue me? I know he'll sue me if I say it's time for the Anik and Florian podcast. But do you think he'll sue me if I say we are live? What do you think, Flo? Great. So we got we got to get uh, we got to get lawyer up right now. Thanks. You do. Uh, th- there goes all our money from the podcast, and uh, we got to defend ourselves against the beast, Bruce Buffer. <laughs> that is the whole kitty. Tell our producer, Danny Mayock, that, that he's coming for her, too. It, I heard her say we are live. It's time to lawyer up. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. It is Monday, December 17th, 2018, episode 184 of the Anakin Florian podcast. It always sounds like a lot. So in our little pre-show meeting that lasts four minutes, I try not to you know, spoil, spoil <laughs> anything I might have. Right. So I'm at Publix this morning, right? Mm-hmm. It's a grocery store here in South Florida. I'm there with my son, Hunter, just him and me. You know, I got him in the car seat in the grocery cart. Okay. And who do I run into? But former UFC light heavyweight champion, Sugar Rashad Evans. Oh, wow. I mean, what are the fucking odds, kid? This <laughs> tiny little awesome. Publix in West Boca Raton. I just went in to get a few things. You know, my wife was at my daughter's school doing lunch duty in and out. Sugar Rashad Evans live and in color. He's the best. What's Unbelievable. Go- where'd you bump into him? What what aisle? Uh, that's a good question. That's it. Was in the produce aisle. Okay. He was, uh, you know, loading up on the healthy stuff, and good. I was looking for uh, just probably like a bag of lettuce shreds, iceberg, <laughs> to put on my like turkey sub or something. No. Uh, but yeah, he was getting some mangoes, some like mangoes from Haiti or something. But it was it was right. cool to run into Rashad. You just never know how, how your day is going to go That's down. Awesome. So uh, and you just never know how these fights are going to go down before we get into uh, Fox UFC Fight Night Milwaukee. So three more shows for us here on Fox. Final UFC Fight Night on Fox was this past weekend. And and UFC 232 is obviously going to be the last sort of 
coexisting show for Fox and the UFC. The FS1, UFC 232 prelims will be that night on FS1. Ken Flo, you're working the desk, right? So even though a lot of the goodbyes happened, UFC Tonight had the last show and Milwaukee was pretty emotional for a lot of people. I think December 29th is going to be even harder for for all these people that that we will get to in a couple weeks on our final show who have devoted seven years of their life to this, Ken Flo. And you saw some of those emotions spilling over a little bit. And I think just my my biggest takeaway, even though it's sad and and you know the relationships will withstand the test of time, but these people love mixed martial arts now, right? Yep. And all of a sudden, it's ripped from them unless they want to like leave Fox and go try to work for the UFC and work in mixed martial arts. And when you get the bug for this sport, uh, you you kind of want it to be in your life forever, right? I got the bug in '07 and sort of kind of wanted this sport to be in my life forever. And it for a lot of these people, you know. Even some of the producers on this podcast, I'd imagine, you know, it's going to be a different ball game here in a couple of weeks, and it's it's unfortunate. Well, dude, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, um, there's a lot of lifelong mixed martial arts UFC fans now uh, that have been created over at Fox Sports, and um, I, I can't thank them enough for for all of their support and everything they've helped me uh, with, and and all the reps that I got working for them, and. Um, you know, I think that they elevated this sport uh, to a whole new level over here, and, and they treated yeah. it uh, along the likes of, of Major League Baseball and the NFL, and because yeah. they gave us that kind of treatment, uh, and they gave you know the people who worked on that show that kind of treatment, I think they elevated yeah. the sport as a whole, and uh, I'm uh, eternally grateful. Yeah, man, you put it well, and it's hard to quantify how many more American MMA fans there are because of this Fox relationship. I don't even think it always shows up in the television rating necessarily, but FS1 has been a channel largely devoted to the UFC since 2013, and and that that relationship obviously goes both ways. But it's a special time. We're all trying to go out on a high note, and you can be sure on our, our final episode here on Fox Sports, which is December 31st. Uh, just before the new year, we will we will acknowledge everybody that we can think of by name and, and inevitably we'll leave some people out. So today, in about 10 minutes, will be the biggest Ray Longo minute that we have ever had in the history of this podcast. I texted him this morning. I've never been more excited to talk to Ray. So this podcast launched, Kenny, April 6, 2015. So in the four years almost that have expired since, this, in my opinion, is the biggest win for Ray Longo as a chief corner in that time. I mean, Chris Weidman had a big one against Kelvin Gastelum, some others that we'll get to with Ray, but this is a huge moment for our guy, and certainly I want the shine to be on Ally Quinta, but for Ray, this is going to be an exciting day and and week for him to celebrate this win because I don't know that a lot of people consider Raging Ally Quinta an elite fighter, someone capable of winning a UFC lightweight championship or challenging for it. And I think based upon the 25 minutes that I saw, you know, being front and center this weekend, I think Ally Quinta has has crossed that line and and deserves all the credit for what he was able to do in, in winning that fight against Kevin Lee. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, very happy for Ray Longo and Matt Serra, uh, you know, two guys who really believed in Ally Quinta from the beginning. And you saw that star potential on The Ultimate Fighter, your season of The Ultimate Fighter, right, by right. the way. Um, and, you know, the way that he was moving and the way he was able to integrate everything together. So it's clear that he's well coached. And, you know, I think this was that fight that proved that he is truly elite. Beating a number four guy, a guy in Kevin Lee who's a tough style matchup for him, I think proved that he is one of the top lightweights in the UFC. Um, I think we always knew that he was one of the toughest, that he had elite toughness uh, right. in the UFC. But, um, you know, the fact that he was able to show some phenomenal skills out there against a Kevin Lee who was putting a lot of pressure on him, 
um, it, it showed that, uh, you know, just like he did in the Habib Nurmagomedov uh, fight, he knows how to come back from adversity. And he's one of the few guys, uh, I think, in the UFC in general who knows how to adjust mid-fight. And Ally Quinta mm. is an absolute beast. He came roaring back to win that fight, uh, and I was really, uh, really happy for him. And his coaches really did an outstanding job. And, and we may not be the most objective when it comes to Ray and Matt, but Longo's message leading into round four, Matt Serra's message leading into round five, even when they kept it simple, I thought they were getting the right message out there. Yeah, Al was challenged in a number of different MMA capacities in this fight. And his submission defense, not tested a ton, but certainly was tested. Takedown defense, his get-ups, everything else. Mm -hmm. The striking certainly was his for the most part on the feet. But cardio is king, right? Am I wrong? I mean, cardio is king. And I think for Al, the confidence really comes from the cardio. I know he's confident in his skills and in his mental capacity and ability, but he really could go 10 hard fives. So he knows when he gets to a certain point in the fight, it becomes his fight. And this one certainly became his fight. I'd say conditioning is king and also confidence is yes. king. Your ability to stay composed in the octagon is huge. That was the difference for me in Ally Aquinta. Kevin Lee, I thought, really got frustrated. You could see his face just totally change every mm -hmm. time Ally Aquinta was able to get back to his feet. When Al was able to avoid uh, that back take from Kevin Lee, that choke, uh, and, able to, and when he was able to get on top, Kevin just, you could see the fight just kind of sap from uh, every right. single time. Time. Uh, and Ali Quinta just stayed completely composed. Every time he got back to his feet, he didn't look like he was tired. He didn't look like he was frustrated. It was Kevin Lee who looked like it was frustrated. I think that had an effect on his conditioning, his overall mind state throughout yeah. that fight. Um, I acquaint a man, just an absolute beast. I think there's certain guys that are hammers and nails. Ally Aquinta is that guy. I think for Kevin Lee, he needs to learn how to be the, the nail a little bit better. I, I don't think he was right. able to deal with the pressure that was put on him when it was Ally Aquinta's turn uh, to, to really start to hammer him. So Kevin Lee said before the fight that mentally, if I stay in it, it's my fight. And I think what you're suggesting in some capacity is that he did allow that mental frustration to creep in. And that was a factor in the fight. But the physical was what caused that frustration, right? Or are you saying largely, though, at least that it was Al's, Al's fighting that led to that frustration or not? It, it's hard to pinpoint. Uh, it, it's hard to pinpoint it. Um, I, I think that I would probably lean towards the fact that I think Kevin Lee, with all of his experience, hasn't had to deal with a guy like an ally Quinta, who is like a Terminator, who, who can yeah. take shots yeah. and keep coming forward. I don't think he's had to deal with that. I think mm -hmm. most of the guys that he's taken down have kind of just given the fight and kind of accepted that reality. Um, yeah. Ally Quinta yeah. did not accept that reality. Right. Again, it, it is really hard to pinpoint, but I, I would lean towards the fact that it was Ally yeah. Quinta's will that really won him that fight. Yeah, we have a lot more to get to, obviously, on Iaquinta's performance with Ray, and certainly we'll talk about Kevin Lee in terms of spinning it forward and his suggestion that maybe his days at lightweight are done. But in terms of spinning this thing forward for raging ally Quinta, when you look at the rankings, you got Habib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson at the top, the champion and the number one contender. And I kind of just want to proceed as if those two guys are fighting, even though I know ally Quinta likes the Tony Ferguson matchup set after the fight. He thinks he can beat him, thinks he can put him away. Kind of want to proceed for our purposes as if Tony's going to fight Habib because I'll get down on one knee and pray. That's just the fight that needs to happen. Yeah. 
McGregor and Poirier are two and three, Kenny. I know there's some steam for that rematch. Dana White has publicly said that that makes sense to do that fight right now. Kevin Lee, number four. Edson Barboza, who we will get to, number five. Justin Gaethje, number six. Showtime Pettis, number seven. And Ally Quinta, number eight. So, I don't know. A lot of people think the Justin Gaethje fight makes sense. Gaethje immediately uh, took to Twitter and called for that matchup after the Iaquinta result this weekend. What would you like to see for Al in terms of uh, turning this thing around? Gaethje Iaquinta would be an absolute classic. I-, I don't think there's any other way that that wouldn't be uh, an insane fight for the fans to watch. Uh, it'd be very, very exciting, no doubt about that. But hey, why can't Iaquinta fight Connor? I, you know, I think that's yeah. a, that's an interesting fight as well. I think you have right. two guys who recently lost to Habib Nurmagomedov. Um, Iaquinta went five rounds. Connor did not. Uh, Iaquinta's very hungry right now. He's a guy that I think has kind of creeped in to become this kind of blue-collar star now in, in, in the UFC's 155-pound division. Uh, yeah. Why not? No, I think I I think that has legs. I didn't think about that. I think for all of these guys now collected in this mix, and you can co- you can include Ally Quinta in it now. You know the calendar might just align flow where April, May, June we're seeing a lot of these guys compete in a similar time frame. Lightweight is strong. A lot of interesting possibilities. You know, I would think as a promoter, you're sort of salivating now. Uh, but Kevin Lee is no longer in that mix. He came in number four. Ally Quinta will replace him in the top five for Kevin Lee, Kenny. When you look at the welterweight rankings, right, and the possibility of him moving up, right, because some guys move up and they may not contend, right, but they just can't make 155 pounds anymore. And I think Michael Chiesa, when he moves up to welterweight, he understands what is in front of him in terms of trying to win a UFC welterweight championship. And and that's why he stayed at 55. But you do have guys in the welterweight top 10 like Santiago Ponzinibbio, who in my mind seems just too big and, and too good for Kevin Lee, right, in yeah. terms of moving up. But then I see Jorge Masvidal at number nine in the world. I see Neil Magny, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, Cowboy Oliveira, Elizio Zaleski, Dos Santos, uh, even Gunnar Nelson, who's a smaller guy. You know, all those guys are ranked right now. Yeah. So in terms of Kevin Lee moving up, um, how competitive do you think he is in the bottom half of that welterweight top 15? Um, can he do well? Absolutely. Um, I just feel like there's a lot of Kevin Lee's at welterweight, uh, and I don't know if that's the best choice for him. Yes, he's one of the bigger guys at 155 pounds, but I think he, I think he nailed his last weight cut. I thought he, he looked did. great. Um, and it's not like there's other guys like uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, you know, who's he walks around just as big as Kevin Lee, in my opinion. Yeah, so right. I, I think Kevin could do it. it t- it's going to take a little bit more discipline. He's going to be on. He's going to have to be on his diet a little bit more. Um, right. But I don't see a reason for him to go up to welterweight. Can he do well though? To answer your question, sure. Yeah. No. Right. I think if you're preserving a championship aspiration, it's an easier path. And less a career reset, right? Oftentimes you see guys go for the career reset, uh, Gilbert Melendez, even Showtime Pettis, right? When they move down a division, mm-hmm. it's for a career reset, you know, but Kevin Lee's one and one in his last two fights. He's entrenched in the top 10 in a division in which he has a reputation and some heat in some matchups with guys. So largely I agree with you. I guess I just feel like a lot of fighters, as we've said on the, on the show the past few weeks, they have a great weight cut in a fight that they go into thinking, hey, this could be my last fight in that weight yeah. class. And then the cut goes well, and it prolongs their stay down there, and that isn't always advantageous. But, you know, you got a guy like Paul Felder who 
he literally, Kenny, has to measure everything he puts in his body for six and a half weeks or so. Mm-hmm. And, and then you're still praying that you make 156 pounds on Friday and everything mm-hmm. goes well during fight week. And I think Kevin Lee, right, if he was just as disciplined as Paul Felder, could it be a touch easier? But generally speaking, these guys are massive with not a lot of body fat. And as I mean, you can speak to this as well as anyone, you know, it's they're miserable. You know, like yeah. Paul Felder, we were calling fights two weeks ago in Toronto, like, dude's miserable. Yeah. You know? And listen, I think you bring up a great point because I think that has a great effect on how well you do in your training camp and how well you do in right. your fight. Because if you are stressed all the time, right, uh, not only is that going to get you to retain actually uh, more water and not lose as much weight because of that cortisol that's going on in your body dealing with that stress, um, but you're not going to train as well. You're going to be more tense. Um, you're going to be way more stressed on fight week like I was at 145 pounds. And it yeah. becomes all about getting on that scale and not about the fight. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from, let's say, the, the Frankie Edgars who fight at, fought at 155 with great success. And he even fought at 145 and could make probably right. 135. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of examples out there. We, uh, Gunnar Nelson, who's fighting at 170, who could easily make right. 155. Guys that say, you know what, I don't want to deal with that stress. I right. want to be right. happy in camp. I want to be happy leading into right. a fight. I don't want to have to deal uh, with all this crap trying to make weight uh, when the real struggle, the real fight, uh, is what you're going to enc- encounter on on fight night, on Saturday right. night. Yeah, no, and I think a lot of guys like Kevin Lee, it's hard for them to quantify how much better they could be if mm-hmm. they were able to enjoy training and enjoy training camp. Support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you will ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. So here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you have found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. So either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. So to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash anik, rocketmortgage.com slash A-N-I-K. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, let's get to it. The greatest Ray Longo minute in the history of the show. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Well, if I did not love Ray Longo, I would not have made my first order of business when I started this podcast with Flo to put him on the show every week since April 6th of 2015. You're a genius. But I, oh, I have never been more excited to, to see you or hear your voice. Uh, Ray fucking Longo, raging <laughs> ally at Quinta. Are you fucking kidding me, man? Congratulations yeah. to the whole team. I think this is as, as big a win as I've felt like you've had in, in, in five years. Just a huge win, and, and Flo and I cannot be happier for you, bud. Yeah, woke up this morning, got a blue moon in my eye, baby. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, I got to tell you, I, I really viewed this as a championship fight. I think that's the way we approach it. And it just had that feel 
uh, main event against an up-and-coming young kid, you know, brash-talking, you know, uh, talented guy. It was just, it was, what a what a great performance by Ally Quinta, man. I got to tell you, it was, uh, it was great to see him uh, get in there healthy and do his thing. And I, I got to tell you, you guys are talking about weight cuts. I, it, it, look, even as a coach, I'm not happy until after the fight. You, yeah. Things could go so wrong within 24 hours with some of these guys. It, it's it's horrible as a coach to watch a guy go from I feel great to does my my knee something's hurt. You know, like you start. Yeah. Messing with your body like that, man, a lot of shit happens. It really does. That's right. Somebody. Making weight is one thing, and competing at the weight is another, right? You never know totally, how that's going to totally, turn out. Totally correct. And you know, as a coach, I'll do an interview where the guy feels great. I'm not kidding. Shit goes south in, yeah. in 48 hours. I mean, so it gets to the point I don't even want to talk. But luckily, man, we just I, – I kept checking in with him like every half hour. How we do? You don't even want to be that guy because, you know – right. You, you start bothering him, but uh, man, this was one fight where it went good, thank God. And and I got to tell you, training camp we had to pull back a bunch of times because uh, you know his injuries, but it was just enough to get him healthy again. So I think we found the right recipe that way, which was good. Which moving forward, I think should help us because you know th- this kid would train ten hours a day. He's not happy unless he's right. training like an animal. But you know those days might be behind him. But I think we trained smart and. Uh, Man, what a just a great performance from Al, man. He hit a little wow. adversity, and, uh, man, I, I, I can't be happier for a guy. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's been, you know, so many ups and downs with uh, not even, you know, like the fight and just, you know, stuff with, uh, you know, his complaints with the UFC and stuff like that. I actually texted right. Sean Shelby. I really got to give credit to Sean because Sean really – stuck by this kid and really, you know, saw the course. And I think it pays off. He just really wanted to get paid. And like Al told me, he goes, I just really want to thank Sean Shelby. That's what I want to do. I want to feel yeah. good about a fight where I feel like yeah. I'm appreciated. And uh, that wasn't a bullshit thing. He really thanked Sean and Hunter Campbell. And, uh, right. you know, it's almost like an inside joke. We know what's going on. But, uh, you know, he, uh, I think they did the right thing by this kid. He's always produced in the spotlight. He's well, never let anybody down. Listen, man, in addition to getting that win, he proved his worth. So, I mean, that was an amazing, amazing right. win. For you, Ray, when you look at his his initial injury and when you got the news that his knee was pretty much destroyed, is this one of the greatest comeback stories in your career that you've experienced as a coach? Without a doubt, Kenny, this is... Uh you know, I gave a little speech at the after fight party. It, it's I watched this kid rehab like his rehab uh, discipline is phenomenal. He does the same shit over and over and over and over again just to stay within the range of training. I'm saying most people can't do that. And he, right. I mean, I just, you know, the, the hurt in his face, like he'd come in even in this camp at the beginning, we'd hit for one round. I got to go like my back is locking up, you know, it's just, wow. and then he goes out. He just, I watch him with the rehab. He's surrounded by great people. He's got a sports science Institute and uh, uh, Staten Island. I want to give them a shout out Juan Delgado and John Piazza. He, he really loves these guys. They, they took a special interest in Al. I think that, that that's the point of this. I think he's, he's, he's a crazy guy, right? He's not really that crazy, but, Al could go off the charts. I think he wears his emotions on his sleeve. Yep. And But there are people out there that have seen something in this kid, and I've, without a doubt, me, one of them from the beginning, because I love him, 
that really have stuck by this kid when they could have went south a couple of times. You know what I mean? So he loves uh, Piazza. He loves Juan Delgado. They stick by him. Uh, and it, it, it was a group effort. But, yeah, Kenny, great comeback. But I watched this guy do the have the discipline to stay and rehab those. In I'm talking every day. He doesn't get in that ring before he does certain exercises. He comes out, he does them no matter what. It's just, it, it was great to see it, you know, come to fruition in a really high-profile fight when he really needed it. And, and Ray, one more question, uh, you know, in regards to the fight itself, any surprises uh, during the fight, or, or did you expect this to kind of go down the way it did? Uh, no, not really. I, no, I, I think it went down the kind of the way I did. I, I thought... Uh, no, I think it kind of went down mm -hmm. the way way I thought it would. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, I, I kind you know like even when Kevin Lee was talking about he took the first fight on three weeks notice, and Al told me they signed the bout agreements two months before the fight. Yeah, I was like, I, I just know he's going to beat him. There's something I like. Mm -hmm. Kevin Lee. He's a talented kid, but his head is something's off, like a little delusional, I think. And then I think it came back to bite him in the ass, like. Be careful what you ask for. Like I think, right, right. If anything, there was no evolution in his game. You know mm. what I mean? Like he, right. I think mm. right. the projection that I felt during the fight is like, wow, this guy's real. Something's off, you know. And he seems like a good kid. He's got a good camp around him and stuff like that. But he's got a really, and he doesn't have to address anything physically because physically he's a gifted kid. But right. mentally, I think something's off. Like real, right. like big time. Like. uh like even thinking you won that fight, like I don't even well, care right, you won that right. fight. You got you got your ass beat. Like you know if that's a well, right. fight, who do you think won that fight? Like you want to win on this, like eke out a, a sports decision because you had a couple of minutes of control time on the floor standing up. He was never ever in that fight ever. I mean, right. Al pursued him and pot shot at that kid all around the ring and I, I don't even know. I, the the main takeaway looking at that fight is. Ally Aquinta is a fighter. Kevin Kevin Lee is an athlete. Without a doubt. Kevin Lee, look, Al said the kid was super strong. He's definitely a gifted kid. He's got to yeah. get his head straight now yeah. and really forget about the bullshit talking and all the stupidity. That's not, that's only going to get you so far. He's got to really go back in. He's he's a young kid. He's still, he's not going anywhere. I mean, right. he oh, yeah. definitely, definitely got the talent, but some of the things he was saying, I mean, man, I even looked at like, People analyzing the fight. I was I was confused on this one. I was like, wow, they are not nobody's putting any emphasis on what this kid did with Khabib. I think that was a telltale sign. This kid's not going anywhere. Al said it himself. Him and Khabib would still be fighting. Nobody was gonna right. quit in that fight. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like this is the mentality you want out of a fighter. You yeah. know what I mean? So they they kinda I mean, he was such a huge underdog, which I'm glad because everybody made a lot of money. But <laughs> he was such a huge underdog for what reason? I, I I really didn't get it. You know, like people were saying the guy's got a long reach. I've never seen one fight where that guy had a long reach. He's, it's not like he's 6'2 and he's got a long reach. You know what I mean? He's got long arms, but he doesn't use them. He uses them for wrestling. That's why he can lock those hands behind your ass easy. You know what I mean? That right. helps him for there. But standing up-wise, I didn't see any progression at all. Well, you just gave me a million different things to chew on. I mean, at least as far as the betting line is concerned, they're trying to draw two-way action. And Al didn't necessarily have that signature win. He had just the Diego Sanchez win since 2015. So at least on paper, 
despite the fact that he had a win over Kevin Lee, I think that at least speaks to why the odds were pronounced. Not that I agreed with them at all, right? Um, but as far yeah, as the me, performance, let me just that though, but I, I do think you got to put emphasis on that kid. I don't think anybody believes he took that fight on 24 hours notice, man. He trained for a three round fight. Of he course, five rounds with a guy that's hammering people. And right. I'm going to tell you something: win or lose, you know, like there was a little controversy, but that Jorge Masvidal fight is a huge fight to look at. Yeah. Jorge Masvidal is a great fighter. I respect that guy a lot. I that agree. kid's a fighter. And Al was right. They were I don't care who won the fight or who you think won the fight. It was a fucking fight. You know yep. what I mean? And uh, Jorge Masvidal's walking through a lot. You've seen what he does to people. He's a beast. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? He's a beast. I mean, so I look who who did uh you know, Kevin Lee, when I looked at the Barboza fight, Kevin Lee got Barboza after the guy just got mauled yes. by a grizzly bear. Like and he also cool. got knocked down in that fight, and there were yes, no, no doubt yeah, about it. I, it the, I the line is what it is. I, 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 in terms of the performance, though, see, we led the show, Kenny and I did, by suggesting that this is sort of the performance that allows Al to cross into the elite at uh, the elite, at least in terms of the public perception, right? Like we, but like he is an elite fighter, and. Even though maybe I'm not sure Kevin Lee underestimated him necessarily, I think we can all agree that Al is now a, a truly elite lightweight who on his best Saturday night can become the lightweight champion. What impressed you the most about what he accomplished Saturday night? Look, again, I think what Kenny said, the way he had to overcome adversity with the injuries and then the way he had to overcome, you know, the guy had his back. He was never really close to doing anything, I think, uh, Matt Serra did a phenomenal job with that. We knew that going in. Matt was telling me, dude, his jiu-jitsu defense is, is excellent. He's got killers over there trying to choke him, you know, right. every day in the gym. And they do choke him sometimes. But the thing is, he's used to high-level yeah. guys attacking his neck. And that's what I think. I think Kevin Lee in his head thought he was going to take him down, get his back, and choke him. I think it was that easy. Right. He thought, you know, I'm the biggest, stronger guy. I did it once before. I'll do it again. But... Al was the guy that really evolved as a person. Oh, you know? yeah, and, yeah. And to, to me, evolution is taking the things you should be doing them, doing and doing it at a higher degree. You know what right. I mean? His timing right. on his punches was beautiful. His head movement was beautiful. His defense on the ground was beautiful. You know yeah, what I mean? Man. So there was a big evolution there. So uh, I, I I think, you know, I like the way he we addressed everything going into that camp. That's why I said there was no surprises. And the way he was so poised when he was hunting him down and he didn't overextend himself to get taken down and just yep. kept him at the end of those punches and just kept pot shotting that guy around the ring. I mean, it was, it was, it was great. It was great to see. I think Felder did a great job because he's a stand-up guy. He saw a lot of the nuances that Al was doing and he was trying to, to call him out on TV. I think he did a good job because there were a lot of body shifts and looking one way, going yeah. the other way. And uh, yeah. he did a lot in that fight, man. That spin elbow was awesome. Beautiful. Off the, yeah. uh, I mean, come on, he did, the head kick was phenomenal. He hasn't even thrown a kick in his last two fights, you know. Yeah. So when yeah. he's healthy, he can go back to adding a couple of weapons. And yeah. I think his poise and his his uh, ability to stay the course and, and always look like he was in control of that fight, even when he was in a bad position, was right. what, I what agree really with that. Me. Yeah, I think that's the thesis statement right there. Even when he was in compromising spots, he felt like somehow, some way, he was going to get out of it and was in control of the fight. Just a a brilliant performance. And yeah, Paul Felder spent eight weeks breaking down what Al was doing. You could be sure he had a lot of insight into the way Al moves. Right, as a guy who, I, I who prepared to fight him in April. So. 
just in terms of the scorecards and anything else, I mean, certainly once you knew it was unanimous, you knew you had this decision. I didn't think it was a foregone conclusion. I don't know if it was round two or round three, but I thought you could have given Al one of those rounds, right? Because Kevin Lee didn't do a whole lot on the ground. And as you said, when they were standing, it was all Al, right? So when you heard, you know, 48, 47, 49, 46, I mean, you knew it was going to be for your guy. Yeah, well, I, when I heard 49-46, I, listen, I screwed up, I think, a little bit because I really thought he won that fight. I'm not saying easy because it was a competitive fight. Kevin Lee did a great job, but I there was no question in my mind. The second round's tricky because I remember telling him that's the way to win back a round. You know, he hit a little trouble. Kevin did a little damage on the floor, but the last two minutes plus was Al chasing that guy around the ring again, you know, yeah. pot-shotting him, so... Damage-wise, there is absolutely no question who won that fight. Uh, If you want to go control time, it gets a little tricky. I'm going to say the second round, if you're a Kevin Lee fan, you're probably going to give it to Kevin Lee. If you're an Al fan, you're definitely giving it to Al. But I made the mistake of I thought it was a foregone conclusion that he won the first and the second. I gave right, Kevin Lee right. the third, and Al won the fourth and fifth decisive. Right. So you thought you had one, a clear four and five was clear. Yeah, one four and five yeah, was yeah. absolutely clear. Four and five clear. was totally clear. Yeah. Uh, at one four five was totally clear. Two, it depends on what you're looking at, I yeah. guess. You know, because yeah. I watched the fight again just to make sure I was right. So he had him down, never in any danger, but he got off a couple of shots. But I, I think when Al got back up, his shots definitely, uh, you know, equalized whatever happened on the floor. That's oh, what I yeah. was looking at. But you could go eat like again. But I got to tell you, MMA Junkie had him win him by five points. They gave him a ten eight in the uh, fifth round, which I don't agree with. But dude, well, that was a. That was a pronounced walk-down beating, yeah. man. That way, even when he put his hands down, he still made a miss with his head. I mean, that's right out of a freaking movie. I mean, you can't make yeah. that shit up. And then, you know, well, when he screams at him at the end, same Al, buddy. Same fucking Al. You know what awesome. I mean? Like, you got to back your shit up now. I think that's the, like, yeah. when Kevin Lee says he's embarrassed, what's he embarrassed about? Is he embarrassed? Because he said he, he was going to humiliate the guy, he, and he got humiliated. Yeah, I mean, but, but because of his bullshit talking that's what's embarrassing yeah everything yeah. you said came to bite in the ass right you know right. but right. uh one more so, thing before i forget too i love milwaukee i think it's a great city people were beautiful and a shout out to duke rufus man always hospitable yeah. he lets us use the place treated those guys like gold and man this yeah. guy can recommend italian restaurants better than anybody man he <laughs> yeah. gave us a great great recommendation that we we love so thanks shout out to duke rufus and everybody else at the academy. Yeah, Duke is a champion of a human being. I got to spend some time with him after the fights. Not a good night for Rufus Sport. They were 0 for 4. But yeah, I think I ate at that same Italian joint. Best chicken palm of my life. Light on the cheese, though. Light on the <laughs> oh. cheese. So, okay, uh, again, anytime you have to go, you let us know. But I have a lot of notes on this fight, so I'm going to pick your brain for another couple minutes. Whatever the recipe was in terms of the cardio, the strength and conditioning, Hopefully you can bottle that for the next training camp because when I hear you talk about the details and how when he had to shut it down, he was able to shut it down. And yet still on this highest profile of fight nights, he was able to be the furthest thing from flat and go 10 hard fives if he needed to or seemingly. Um, You had to feel really good about the preparation resulting in that type of cardiovascular condition that late in a five round fight. Yeah, without a doubt. Look, again, who do you think if the fight went three more rounds, who do you think was was going to be? Oh, right, right. I mean, think about it. But but yeah, I think we found a recipe. We talked about it even after the fight. Uh, it was Al's ability to to pull back when he wanted to keep training. But 
the, the mantra was, dude, I want to, you have to train healthy. I don't want no injuries, like nothing. Right, if you right. feel bad, we take a day off. It's not the end of the world. And, and for me, I, I kept beating into his head. You, you went five rounds with a, with a, with a grizzly bear. And you train for three. I mean, we're right, training right. now. I don't right. care how where you think your cardio's at. It's a hundred times better than it was that night, you know. Right. But again, right. this is a kid that really trains his ass off. So we did have to pull back a little bit, but I think we trained smart, and uh, it really paid off. We, I think, we found a good recipe. Hopefully, we we stick to it, and things could you know progress from here. You proved that, yeah. All right, last thing. So we launched this show in April of 2015. So your big three, Chris Weidman, Ally Quinta, Aljamain Sterling, right? I want to give you some numbers. This is what I spend my day doing, right? Getting ready for the Anakin Florian podcast. So since we started this show, Chris Weidman, he's two and four. Best win, in my opinion, Kelvin Gastelum, July of 2017. Aljamain Sterling, since we started this show, six and three. Best win, Henan Barrow, July of 2017. Ally Quinta has only fought three times, but he's two and one and had this win over Kevin Lee this weekend. I think this is the biggest singular win that we have had for you since we started this show. And I know you're not going to acknowledge it as such, right? And that night on Long Island with Chris Weidman was a special night. Um, but this puts Al in championship contention. And given the backdrop and everything that Kemflo set up and what he dealt with, like, bro, like, this is a celebration today. I don't know what you're drinking. I know you're at the gym, right? But, like, this <laughs> no. is, in my mind, this is the biggest win for, for Ray Longo MMA in the UFC uh, in the four years we've been doing this show. Well, I got to tell you, it certainly felt like that for sure. But I think but what I'm getting based on your numbers that you gave me, this fucking show is jinxed poor Chris Weidman. What the <laughs> I fuck know. did we do to that guy? You put the fucking horns on Weidman. <laughs> Does he have a voodoo doll in the background oh, there, Ray? You know what, what is that? You know what Weidman's going to do? He's going to force me not to do the fucking show anymore. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. What the hell's I know. the matter with you? I know. I'm sorry. You're right. It's been good I'll for Al, though. Biggest... It's been good for Al, though, Ray. It's been great for Al. Yeah. I'm telling you, Kenny, yeah. this had a championship feel for me. I almost want to say I got three champions now from the it's ground awesome. up. I really do. Yeah. That's how it yeah. felt for me. And I, the, my attachment to this kid is is pretty close. So it, it, this is personal, man. It yeah. really was. Yeah. And just I love, you know, when a guy's talking shit and you can go in there and just put a oh, stamp yeah. like that. It's it's a good yeah. thing. But the no, uh, I mean, biggest surprise of like... the night for me was that his uncle Spike wasn't in the uh, uh, audience, Kenny. Oh, yeah? Come on. Come on, Kenny. <laughs> His Uncle Spike. <laughs> oh, man. I, I figured hey. I'd, throw you, I'd throw you a layup. <laughs> yeah, he has no idea what you're talking about. I know. And he has, and he had, he oh, has a lot God. of pop cultural stuff up in that brain of his, but he has absolutely no idea what Kenny, you're talking about. Kenny, I'm going to tell you, about 10 o'clock tonight, you're going to sit back and you're going to be laughing. I'll start you're laughing. You're going to know what hit you. you got to give me the content. Yeah, I'm clueless right now. It's hey, too early. last thing, last thing, in terms of what is next for Ally Quinta, I know when he was with me in the Octagon after the fact, he called for a title shot, and he's certainly a guy who has earned that and is in that conversation, even though I think most people would like to see Tony Ferguson face Khabib. Ken Flo said he'd like to see Al fight Connor, you know, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, other guys that are in and around that area, Edson Barboza. Um, what, what do you think is going to be next for Al? Man, I'd love to see him fight Connor. I really would. Yeah. I think that's a great fight. Obviously, it's a money fight. You know, go back, do the Italian-Irish thing back in the fucking 50s. Yeah. You know, you go. I, I think it'll bring back some good. MSG, old, you know. do it at MSG. Do it at MSG, man. That place will go berserk. So yeah. I think uh, I think it's a uh, great uh, fight for both guys. <laughs> I really do. 
Yeah. Let's just do it anywhere but New York with all due respect. I think Kenny just got the joke, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, no, he did. He did now. He I got it. just yeah. hit him. Hit him. Yeah. Look but at no, him. No, Connor Iaquinta. Oh, Connor my McGregor, Ally Quinta, we'll do it in Las Vegas. We're not going to do, do it in it. New York. Okay. We'll do it in Las Vegas, and uh, let's do it. Well, hey man, Ireland. Well, yeah. hey man, I'm I'm really glad that uh, that I didn't see you after the fight because I wanted to congratulate you here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And uh, the next time we will talk to you, it will be New Year's Eve, December 31st. So next week we're just doing UFC 232 picks. I know you don't like predictions, so you will be off next week. Wow. Congrats on a huge I fucking double. After a, after a big win like that, you're letting me go. I got a pink slip. Hey, listen, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna break some news to you. Uh, December 31st, I'll be at the. Uh, the uh, Sayama, what what arena is that in Tokyo with Suzaki? Saitama Super oh, Arena? Oh, oh really? Yeah, baby, we're, we're celebrating in Tokyo. Oh, wow. But I will, right, I'll well, Skype, I will uh, definitely call me. We'll definitely do it. It'll be all right, an man. Hey, thing. please uh, send our best to Al and to Matt and everybody else. And uh, congrats, man. You know, congrats, you guys did dude. a great job. And I know Kevin yeah, Lee misses Robert Follis on the other side. And you know, I, sometimes you guys don't seem to get the credit, and I think when you produce a win like this, people acknowledge the job that you guys do. And hey, man, pleasure's ours. Thanks for your time. Enjoy hey, the man. W. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Hey, getting the credit or not, man, we're living life large, and we love it, man. We don't, I don't, I don't care about credit. Care about my guys winning. We all stick together, and it's a great thing, man. It really is. So uh, it's good to get a little credit, but we we know we know where we're at with everything. So awesome. it's all good stuff. All right. Love it, buddy. Have a good week. Cash that check right. for me. Thanks, guys. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> oh, Ray Longo every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So you got guys at lightweight like Alexander Hernandez out there. And I think sometimes why people don't give Ally Quinta the credit he deserves going into a fight, whether it's a betting line or the experts out there. And you did kind of have to look around to find people that were picking Ally Quinta in this fight. But I think some of it is that that he is an undersized lightweight who doesn't cut a lot of weight, who people see as a guy who probably could make 45, especially when you look at guys like Alexander Hernandez and the aforementioned Paul Felder and these guys who – I mean, dude, Dracar Close started his weight cut north of 200 pounds, Kenny. You know, Insane. So I think this is going to give Ally Quinta everything he needs to, to sort of move his career forward in an upward trajectory. But I think you can understand he – he does give up size in this division. There's no doubt about it. Sure. He does, but again, you look at the energy that he brings, the conditioning that yep. he brings, the toughness that he brings. Um, those qualities, in my opinion, are way more important than size. No, I agree. In terms of quantifying um, the Robert Fallis loss, right, and it's about a year to the day that, that Robert took his own life, and Robert's certainly a, a great corner man and a guy who knew how to maximize those 60 seconds, particularly on fight night. You know, Ken Flo, as in my mind the best analyst in the game, talks a lot about adjustments, right, and, and a corner's ability to make those adjustments. Bill Belichick coaches in the NFL. It's The NFL is all about adjustments. That's all it's about, right? It really is. And I think not having Fallis with Dewey Cooper, not the most experienced mixed martial arts guy, and, and I think Corey Goodwin's the other guy in that corner. And again, a lot of good MMA people there, but I don't know. I just think for, for Kevin, it, it, it's hard to completely quantify that loss, but it's a big loss for him, particularly on fight night. I, I think you make a great point. Uh, Robert Fallis also really gave a lot of mental stability to his fighters with all of his experience and uh, with his great motivational talks, this is a guy who had been in there so many times and had been a part of so many 
gigantic fights in the UFC. And I think throughout that training camp, giving that stability, giving that confidence to his fighters, um, giving him that uh, ability to stay composed during a fight in between rounds is huge. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a big loss for him, uh, for Kevin Lee, in, in a lot of different ways. All right. Ally Quinta with a monumental main event win, and we congratulate raging fucking Al. I mean, I still can't even believe the way he was able to do it, right? And say what you want about the scorecards and everything else, but, you know, you got up from watching that fight thinking that Ally Quinta um, had not handily, but had certainly yeah. done enough to beat Kevin Lee. And by the way, the breaking news from Ray, I guess, must be that Uluka Sasaki is no longer a UFC fighter and he's competing for one or something on New Year's yeah. Eve. That's like a, the other reference, who the fuck knows what he was talking about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's good. It kind of makes me feel young when all of my colleagues are younger than me, essentially, now. So that's good. Uh, Edson Barboza. Whew. Uh, what a striker, man. And, you know, I know this wasn't the most perfect performance. Even some of the people very close to him would acknowledge that after the fact. Um, but this is one of the best strikers I have ever seen. And I am not, you know, a mixed martial arts expert, even though I watch a lot of it, right? But I just... I marvel at the way this guy strikes, and uh, I think when I'm 65 years old, God willing, I'm going to still be talking about a guy like Edson Barboza because in a pure striking setting, uh, you know, foot or hand to the target in a blink and then retreats defensively. Uh, I really liked what I saw this weekend against a guy in Dan Hooker who was, you know, dropping people left and right going it. As far as, you know, the weapons, his offensive weapons, um, they are no doubt elite. The speed at which he throws those weapons, uh, the timing that he has, uh, the ferocity in which he throws them, um, his ability to hurt guys, uh, it, it's tremendous. Uh, Edson is an absolute beast. He showed a lot of toughness in that fight against Dan Hooker. Uh, Dan Hooker uh, showed the most amount of toughness, yeah. I think, uh, that we've seen out of him and, and one of the toughest and grimiest performances that I've ever seen huh. in the octagon period. Uh, this guy is an absolute beast, kept coming forward, uh, even though he was taking a lot of punish punishment from the speedy Edson Barbosa. But, you know, what worries me in Edson Barbosa is that he hasn't changed uh, as a fighter as much as I would like. He has so many great weapons and so many great physical gifts. But he doesn't find those proper angles, and sometimes his shot selection on what he should throw at the right time um, kind of gets me shaking my head a little bit. I yeah. thought he should have been attacking those legs way more. I thought he was throwing a lot of risky shots, going to the body repeatedly with those legs. I don't know why he didn't go upstairs to try to take out Hooker once and for all with a head kick. But um, again, I wasn't in there. A lot of times when you're feeling a fight, you, you feel something else. But right. For Edson Barbosa, I think the, the main thing, though, is he's either going forward or he's going backwards. And if he doesn't hurt you, if he doesn't like hurt you with the shot, he doesn't really know what to do and starts to panic a little bit. And he makes yeah. the fight yeah. more difficult on himself right. because of it. So right. I think just finding a little bit more angles for himself, uh, moving laterally better, I think will help him uh, moving forward. Hopefully he's able to make those adjustments because, like you said, uh, the, when he does throw those weapons, man, I'm not sure there's a there's a better guy out there. Uh, Edson right. Barbosa is just so right. damn fast and so explosive. Right. And even though maybe there's some fight IQ issues, right, he's not a guy that a lot of people call out. I guess Dan Hooker notwithstanding, I think he did call for a fight against him, right? But not right. going to hear Ray Longo come on here, Kenny, and say, oh, give us Barbosa, right? right. 
Like, he's not a guy that people want to fight, right? Like, I didn't even want to go near him after watching what he did to Dan Hooker this weekend. But, yeah, you bring up a lot of good points. The fight IQ is such that he put himself in a compromising situation against Dan Hooker when there was absolutely no need at any point for this fight to potentially be in jeopardy as we saw the pendulum swing there mid-fight. So, absolutely, you hit on a lot of good stuff there. But another big win by knockout for Edson Barboza. He did not get a bonus, so, you know, maybe the UFC saw some of the things that you did. As far as Dan Hooker is concerned, And I sort of, as I called it, what popped into my head was be careful what you wish for, right? And I know Dan Hooker always wants the biggest fight to challenge himself against somebody in the top five. This did not go his way. Next level toughness. Hard to quantify, Kenny, what this type of beating could do for him going forward. You know, he does have a lot of MMA miles relative to his age, even though he professes to train smart. But there were times when I thought the referee could have stopped this fight. There were times I thought the corner stood could have stopped the fight. I mean, when you were watching, are you sort of of that mentality that Rob Hines had a couple of different opportunities where he, at least as the referee, could have jumped in there? John couldn't agree more. Um, I, I was a little disappointed both in the corner and uh, by the referee. I mean, listen, we've seen some amazing comebacks, right? We've, we've seen a lot of toughness in, in the octagon from guys like Gaethje and Alvarez and Dustin Poirier, their ability to yeah. come back and battle back after dealing with a lot of punishment. But the amount of punishment that Hooker was taking in that fight without uh, really giving a- any major uh, damage to Edson Barbosa, I just... Right. To me, there was no doubt of what was going to happen. We knew who was going to win that fight, and I think yeah. that we could have saved Dan, Dan Hooker from a lot of damage yeah. in that fight, both to his head and to his body. And yeah. again, I think you kind of have to have a different perspective heading into a fight. Yes, you want your fighter to win, absolutely, but don't you want your fighter to be healthy too? Don't you want your fighter to have a longer career? And those are the kind of fights that maybe can take away from those extra five or six fights. Uh, Not to mention maybe take away from his ability to function uh, with his full capabilities later in his life. So that's just not worth it. You have one brain, and a lot of times we forget that in the fight game. Right. No. You're right. And, you know, he's going to be pissing blood for three weeks. Right. And of course, he would then throw his own offense. Right. Because he's just so tough and he wants to stay in the fight, even though there was nothing behind it. You know, at times you're like, oh, man, the referee should come in there. But then it's like, oh, wait, he's throwing offense and it doesn't doesn't matter. You know, even though he's throwing offense, I still think there were windows in which you could have stopped this fight. And as far as the corner men are concerned, and I know there have been instances, as Paul Felder referenced, when Duke Rufus stopped, uh, I believe, a Showtime Pettis fight recently. But generally speaking, high-profile corner men and women in these high-profile situations do not stop these fights, Kenny. They just don't do it. And until that starts to happen with more regularity, I don't think you're going to have anything resembling a trend. The rules say technically, right, a corner man can't throw his towel into the octagon to stop a fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, newsflash, if you throw your towel into the octagon, they will pause the action. Right. Then you can jump over the fence and give your fighter a hug, okay? So it is very easy as a corner man to stop the fight. Just jump the fucking fence and say you're trying to save your fighter right and, now. And, yeah, exactly. And that, I believe, is where it comes from, by the way. So, yes, you're right. Now, oh, right, oh, right, exactly. So now I understand there can be no worse reality for a corner man and you're about to corner Ryan Hall in a couple weeks then if if you throw in the towel so to speak and you're in the locker room after the fight and Ryan Hall says Kenny listen man I love you but dude I haven't competed since 2016 like 
I, I don't know if I can have you corner me for my next fight because you fucking stopped this one. But like I have show and win money and you just prevented me from having a chance to win that right. win money. And I've come back in fights before and there could that be one of the worst nights of your life. And sure. correct me if I'm wrong, but that's why people in your position, high profile corner men don't seem to be willing to pull that trigger without a doubt uh it, it is indeed a dilemma uh and also you, you got to deal with your fighter at the end of the day and, and kind of yeah, look man. him in the eye but at, at, on the other side of things you also have to look at health and yes that fight is extremely important to that guy but if your fighter is taking an absolute beating and and just the flow of the fight it's just not going their way and it's only getting worse and they've taken a lot of shots to the leg a lot of shots to the body and even more to the head, man, you got to look out for the safety of your fighter. That is your role. I think number one, number one yeah, on fight right. night is to protect right. your fighter. And right. that's the role of the referee as well. It's the safety of the fighter. Right. Was the referee looking out for the safety of Dan Hooker? Sometimes right. you, you got to save a fighter from themselves a lot of times. And I agree. I don't think that was the case. Dan Hooker proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's one of the toughest guys uh, ever uh, in yeah, the UFC. Yeah. But yeah, there was no need for it. Yeah, no, I agree. And and because it is so much easier said than done for a corner man to do what I just described, yeah. the onus has to be on the referee. And I think these people have to be encouraged to err on the side of a premature stoppage, right? They have to get safety back to the forefront of their minds. And Rob Hines is a good experienced referee. He teaches the class for referees and judges, right? So I thought if anybody was in that situation you know, other than, you know, all the elite guys like the no-nonsense Keith Peterson that we talk about on a regular basis here, I thought for sure Rob Hines would have found a window earlier to get in there and stop the fight. But maybe the referees have to save some of these corner men and women as well. Uh, nonetheless, a big win for Edson Barboza. And thankfully for Dan Hooker, he was competing at 55 here and he was hydrated because of, because yep. other – actually, I who knows if it's thankfully, right? But at featherweight, he would have been knocked out this oh, evening. Yeah. Uh, all right, anything else on the main card? Rob Fawn, I thought, a really clean performance. You know, he felt like he was going to be the bigger man, the stronger man, and even as the fight wore on, the faster man. Thought this was a clean performance against Sergio Pettis and, uh, again, proves that he's a relevant, you know, top eight type bantamweight now moving into 2019. Uh, absolutely. Listen, I thought Rob Font had uh, one of the best performances of his career. His jab yeah. was firing uh, really well, which was setting up the rest of his strikes. But yeah, I mean, the size advantage for him uh, was significant. He utilized it uh, the, to the best of his ability against the smaller Sergio Pettis. Um, I thought Sergio uh, really struggled defensively in that fight. He just could not adapt to that long jab of Rob Font. Um, Rob Font was throwing a variety of jabs. He was throwing a flick jab. He was throwing a step jab, uh, a power jab, and and uh, Pettis was getting hit with pretty much all of them. And for Pettis, you got to move your head off that center line, get that yeah. head moving, utilize kicks, utilize those long range weapons, uh, maybe a side kick or a front kick uh, to deal with that longer uh, jab from Rob Font. Um, and he just couldn't get it going, man. And I think that he really struggled and was frustrated uh, by, those by those strikes from Rob Font. Um, I thought Rob Font was mixing things up very well with his takedowns as well. Uh, he yep. was winning rounds uh, because of his ability to be a little bit more versatile than Sergio Pettis. Yeah. Nice job by that corner, Joe Lozon, Tyson Chartier as well. Rob Font's got a good thing going. You know, he drives he so much, Kenny, to train. Drives to Lozon's in southeastern Massachusetts. Drives to the University of Southern Maine 
three wow. times a week for wrestling. You know, that's a two hour drive, right? Like he's really committed to this thing and he's a really good kid. And I do feel good for him. And on the other side, you know, Duke Rufus did say to me after the fact, you know, maybe, maybe Sergio shouldn't have taken a fight so soon. You know, this was nine weeks after that loss to Juicy A Formiga and Sergio seemed pretty hell bent on competing in Milwaukee, but mm. quick turn, uh, moving up a weight class against one of the better fighters in that division. A lot of people kind of felt like maybe Sergio had, uh, had bitten off more than he could chew against Rob Fawn, and that's kind of the way it played out. And then Charles Oliveira, Kenny, when you talk about the great offensive jiu-jitsu guys in UFC history, Charles Oliveira is that guy right now. 12 career wins by submission in the UFC. Nobody has more, and man, did he just make it look easy against a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He really did. Um, you know, Jim Miller has certainly lost a step. He's had a lot of fights in the UFC, a lot of great fights in the UFC, and he's had a lot of success. One of the toughest guys to compete uh, inside the octagon as well. Uh, but you could see Charles Oliveira was just uh, much faster. Um, you know, you, you see Miller not reacting very well to the takedown, uh, to the back take. Oliveira was just all over him, man. As soon as he had that back early in that first round, you knew it was pretty much going to be over. You, you don't want a guy like a Charles Oliveira on your back early in the first round like that. Uh, right. And, you know, Oliveira is really improving and seeing he just looks way more comfortable in the octagon now. He owns yeah. that cage. He owns that space. Uh, and the fact that he has broken Hoist Gracie's record for most submissions in the octagon is Crazy. just amazing. In 2018, right? It'd be one thing if yeah, he did it yeah, maybe early right, 2000s, right. late 90s. He's doing this in 2018 um, and, and is showing that Brazilian jiu-jitsu is still uh, very much alive and well uh, as far as the mixed, mixed martial arts uh, realm is concerned. So, uh Awesome win for him, um, and, and again to come back. I believe Jim Miller what submitted him a, uh, with a leg lock yes. back in the day. I so, knee bar in 2010. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that was yeah. uh, an awesome performance there from Oliveira. Uh, I'm so glad you set up the context of what Charles Oliveira has done in relation to Hoist Gracie because you're right. It's like doing it in the sort of the salary cap type era. Doing it nowadays. Yeah. When people are so good at submission defense and so focused on submission defense, even if they don't have more than a couple chokes in their offensive arsenal, you know. Jim Miller's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Not all black belts are created equal, but this is a guy who has submitted right. a lot of guys himself. So it's not yeah, like he's right. just going, you know, submitted some guy who's a professional kickboxer, you know. Right. But yeah, right, right. But the MMA application of the offensive Jiu-Jitsu for Charles Oliveira. And, I asked him about moving back to featherweight in our post-fight interview because every time I do my phone call with him on Tuesday, we do the fighter calls, he talks about featherweight, right? And he wow. weighed in at 152 pounds for this fight, right, as if to sort of make a statement, you know? Because mm -hmm. there are guys, Chad LaPreeze, you know, other guys who maybe want to compete in a certain weight class, sure. but the UFC says, you know, you've really got to prove to us that you can do it. I don't know if they'll let him go back down to featherweight, but I think he even realizes that at lightweight, it's just going to be hard for him to break through and, and, and complete the mission, whereas he feels like if he, Max Holloway, a guy he had a main event against in, back in 2015, feels like that maybe is uh, more palatable for him. All right, last thing, just sort of putting a bow on this whole corner man discussion. So one of the prelims, Kenny, Joaquim Silva was a winner by knockout over Jared Flash Gordon. Jared Gordon, one of the best people I've met in MMA, and it's an amazing story that we tried to outline on the broadcast, his 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 drug addiction, his overdosing on multiple occasions and, and coming back to mm. to get a second chance. You know, family business burned down in a fire. He's dealt with a lot of things. And uh, against Neto BJJ, Kenny, at the end of the second round, Neto BJJ was attempting a knee bar and he tore uh, Jared Gordon's hamstring, right? Mm. So Jared Gordon limps back to the stool and 
Duke Rufus said after the fact, you know, oh, I, I, I sort of wish I had stopped the fight because I knew his hamstring was compromised. And then I allowed the guy to get a pretty bad concussion because the end of the fight, Jared Gordon was literally out on his feet like he was out cold Jeez. standing on his feet. And but again, it comes back to that conversation that, you know, Jared Gordon, if any fighter on this roster to a man, to a woman wants to continue in that fight, it's Jared Gordon. Right. And like right. even on one leg, he feels like he can knock out Joaquin Silva and he landed big power shots in the third round and, and nearly was able to come back and win. So it's just such a fine line. And I don't know that you can fault Duke in that situation. But certainly if if retroactively these guys keep having regret, then maybe they'll pull the trigger at some point in the not too distant future. I, I agree. I, I'm not going to pretend that I watched that fight, so I right. can't really uh, put it into context as well as, as you did. But um you know, listen, I, I'm always of the belief that if you're sending your fighter out there on one leg, the right. other guy better be on at least one leg as well. Right, you know, right, like, right, right, If right. you're sending out your fighter and he's on one leg, his, yeah. his leg is messed up or compromised in some way, right. shape, or form, and the right. other guy has his full capacities, you're right. sending your guy out to slaughter. And, and it's not worth it. Save your fighter. You know, save. We, right. You can do things if you have a broken hand or, you know, something's going. But with the legs, I mean... I don't. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And again, Duke Rufus also he knows Jared Gordon better uh, than than I certainly do, um, yeah. and knows what he's capable of. But um, I think if he's saying that uh, after the fight, he he maybe should have stopped that fight. Yeah, and you know what else is but, interesting? That Jared Gordon won the fifty thousand dollar fight of the night bonus, right? So there's that too, that. right? Yeah. And and you can argue that. A big chunk, if not all of that bonus, was was earned in defeat in that third and final round, as great as the fight was leading up to it. So it, a lot of layers to it. Uh, for sure. And then I guess I would counter by saying this. And this is whatever. And this is not for you. This is really for every corner, myself included. Is the $50,000 worth it for the concussion? Right. Right. Well, right. But if it makes you feel any better, I've been hospitalized with two concussions in my life. And <laughs> Basketball. I, I remember you told one me that one. And I didn't get a dime. We still got we got to track that dude down. By the way, one of these days we do, Ken. Flo, you got to track <laughs> that guy down. Yeah. And, and I'll just say in closing that I'm I'm not a fighter, right? These are just a, a fan essentially having his opinions, having watched right. a shit ton of this stuff. Sure. Um. But hey, you know, I'd probably be that corner man that forever jeopardized his friendship with his fighter by throwing in the towel because I'm a pussy. You know. Um, well, you're looking out for the for their well being, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm soft, Kenny. I'm grape soft. <laughs> Forty years old. All right. That's it for today. Thank you. To Ray Longo, thanks to our Fox Sports crew, as always. Next week, it'll be an abbreviated show for you, probably. We'll close out our 2018 main event challenge. Going to be seven picks for UFC 232, Jones versus Gustafson 2. That is coming up Saturday, December 29th on pay-per-view prelims just beforehand on FS1. And hopefully everybody's ready to uh, enjoy some holiday time with their family between now and then. We will talk to you again in less than a week. Until then, for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Thank you all for listening. Yo later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. 
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.